<laughs> Hi, this is Sam Raimi, and you're listening to the CDH Podcast. You know the day destroys the night. Yes. Night divides the day. What she's saying? Try to run, try to hide. Break on through Good morning. Good morning. Thursday, July 9th. How's everybody doing? Um, um, I went to Rigoletto again last night. I, I, have, to, I have to go on about this again um, because it, it gives me um, faith that our business is going to thrive. Uh, it's, it's just one of those perfect evenings. The soloists were on absolute fire last night. The audience wanted it. The place was full-ish. Uh, the, the, the production works. It's a night of theater. God, I was so moved again. I can't, I can't um, talk about it enough. And, and I, I, I had show jealousy, really. <laughs> I had show jealousy. I, 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 all of a sudden, I wanted to be in that show. I go, oh, my God, I want to be in this one. <laughs> Uh, I can't remember having show jealousy in a while. Usually, you're just completely invested in what you're doing, <clears throat> and so um, you're you're just you fall in love with what what it is you're a part of. But now that I've seen Rigoletto twice, I go, I want to be in this show. And I'm no spot of Fuchile, but um, I would fake it. I would fake it for this for this gig. <laughs> uh, I am moving on from one devil to the next. Um, Nick Shadow's got one more. Uh, Saturday matinee, which will be on the radio for anybody who wants to hear. This will be a nationally broadcast. Um, I mean, everything's nationally broadcast, right? Like we say these words, but effectively anything that's uh, available is basically available online to anyone. So, um, yeah, we'll be on the radio Saturday afternoon, whatever time, 1 o'clock, one thirty, something like that. And um, surely there's some computer somewhere that can get you the... <laughs> The live stream. You figure it out. I don't know anymore. Everybody's capable of, of doing these things. You know, we're always like, click here, do this, do this. We're always telling you what to do. Like, <laughs> I'll just let you know it's available. You figure it out. <laughs> uh, but I am very ready to move on uh, to Faust. I, I <clears throat> you know, there's not, um, there's not a devil role that I sing that I can't be compared to uh, Sam Raimi. It happens every time I do it. Every time I do it, there's eventually some mention in some review that while I was quite good, their memory of Sam Raimi <laughs> lives on. <laughs> and I don't, I don't uh, obviously I love the comparison or I love that anybody might bring his name up uh, in, in me doing something. But at the same time, it, start, it starts to get annoying. Uh, but, um, you know, there was, there was a time where I really wanted to lean into the devil characters. They, they fit, they're fun, they're iconic. I wanted to, I wanted to, um, be in that vein because they really do suit my voice the right way. And, and, um, and so you lean into this, uh, typecast and it worked. <laughs> I'm here to tell you it works. If you if you want to gravitate towards something and you know it's what you do best, um, probably somebody's going to hear you. Probably somebody's going to let you try, and and uh, that is certainly the case with me. And I and I look at my schedule and I go from one bad guy to the next. Love playing these bad guys. It's just so much more fun. It's so much more fun than the love interest. I have no I have no desire to be the leading the leading handsome guy. It's not. <laughs> It's not a good time. Maybe, maybe if I was twenty-five or thirty, I might love it. But, but at uh, forty, whatever, 
the bad guy is just so much more interesting. And Mephisto's there and he's pulling all the strings. You feel like you feel like the puppet master controlling the whole show. Um, it's not to say that I'm some kind of uh, control freak, but you know, probably deep down. I was I was talking with a buddy of mine, great friend, came to see me in the show here, and and uh, we had a great night and and caught up after a while, and and um, you know we were just talking about um, different forms of competition or or competitiveness. We were talking about our children, we were talking about sports, and then eventually we moved back to you know the one thing that always that always comes back up when you're with singers is singing, and and um, uh, you know he pointed out to me how competitive he saw me um and I didn't necessarily disagree with him but I certainly didn't think it was to the extent that he um illuminated you know he wasn't in any way saying it in a negative way he was just saying this is how you are when it comes to this and and we started to uh, just talk about other aspects of life where where competitiveness is ultimately what um um motivated uh, a situation and it and it and it really sort of um it, it it became more and more clear to me that very often I am driven by this need to compete and and even though I can often put a face to somebody or something that I'm competing with really what I'm competing with is myself and um um whether or not that's healthy or not uh I'm not you know somebody somebody smarter than me can can speak to that um but um um, uh, there, there is uh, a draw. There is draws the wrong word, but it, there, there's a um, there's a fire uh, that I have yet to be able to put out, and uh, it burns, and 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 it it's constantly there. It's a constant reminder, and I've said this many times of what's next. And I'm I'm trying to live in the moment. I'm trying to live in the whatever I'm currently doing, having my full attention, and it, and it does, but. My, my, my quiet mind, my, my mind is never quiet, my evening brain um, moves forward. And this is, this is what disturbs my sleep more than anything else. And, and um, uh, it was il- illuminating to be redundant uh, in, in realizing that this infiltrates most aspects of my life. Um, and it's not like I'm, I'm not um, somebody who's, competitive in the way that needs to win it's not a win it's a it's a it's a competition to to prove to myself that I am worth what I've been given I think that's a healthy way to put it but um <laughs> we'll see <laughs> but the, there's there's a there's a thing in me and and I I try to be better about it because it's so easy to place um you know, our motivation need not be noble. And so if the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is is winning uh, a situation over myself, then so be it. That's a good thing. Fear is a good motivator. And, and often my fear is that um, uh, that I'm an imposter. Uh, this, this, this comes up at least once a gig where I walk in the room and I go, oh boy, today's the day. They're all going to find you out, buddy. <laughs> The game is up, and um, and that hasn't happened, and so I I'm I'm actively trying to work through um, the quick moments, and they are quick, where I I feel like an imposter, and and um, you know it takes friends and it takes time 
to to understand and to point out that um, no, it's supposed to be you. It's you, or it's us now. And and we were talking about this last night um, after the after the Rigoletto, and I went out with the, with some of the cast and. Um, you know, when we were coming up, when we were young, we were desperate to get into the club, to get into the group. And there was a group of superstars. And believe me, when we were young, we worked with, we worked with that generation before us and, and they were around us all the time, especially in Chicago in those early years. And then later on in Munich, we were surrounded by uh, the club and the club is a group, um, of dominators it's it's a it's the names you see over and over again it's the people that can get the job done really that's ultimately what it is because we have superstars that can't make it through the show and we have superstars who cancel every every second performance and then we have superstars that just show up over and over and give you gold over and over and over and we were desperate to find ourselves among that group or what, what we wanted to do was infiltrate that group and be a part of that group that was older than us. They were 10, 15 years older than we were. And we wanted to get in that group because that was the group that was doing it. And, and, it, and it hit um, my buddy Quinn and I yesterday that, that instead, of, instead of joining that group, we became the new group. We sort of like, you know, this thing is generational. And, and yes, we still have some of the old guard and they are still phenomenal, and we love to see them. But their group is, is getting smaller, and our group is growing. And it feels um, less like a victory lap and more like this moment to um, respect and hold. Uh, the standard is high. We remember the standard being incredibly high. And there is a responsibility in that. There's a responsibility in remaining uh, at that level, we're the holders of this business right now, and and there's a lot of responsibility in that. And and when I see a show like last night, that Rigoletto with with Aaron Morley, and Stephen Costello, and and Quinn Kelsey, you know, in the in the in the three big parts, my faith was restored that we are handling this uh, at the at the level of any group before us. And so when the reviews come out and we're compared to the greats of the past. We have to just sort of remember that people's memories become gilded and whoever they loved when they first saw it or whoever they saw it first is usually the one that sticks with them as having been the best. It's like you're, it's like, um, I heard Lauren Michaels talk about this one time and that he said, generally anybody's favorite cast is the one that they watched when they were in high school. That's what everyone considers to be the greatest cast ever. And, and, um, I think there's a lot of truth in that when it comes to opera fans, especially older ones. They, they heard so-and-so do it. They heard this person do it. I heard Tito Gobi. I heard Maria Callas. You know, they, they go through the, the litany of all the, of all the greats. And, and um, uh, everybody gets compared to that in their head. Um, and so when I see um, uh, Sam's name in a review and I start to roll my eyes, I go, here we go again. I have to remember that... Um, uh, Perhaps someday, perhaps, maybe, maybe not, someday, um, when somebody else is doing what I'm doing, they'll say, oh my God, you're amazing, but I saw Christian Van Horn. You know, like your, your memory becomes gilded, and um, uh, we, we sort of have to remember, it's just currently our group, and the group before us were compared to the group before them, and round and round we go. <laughs> oh, man. My Faust score is out. My Ernani score is out. 
I'm already thinking about next fall. We got to put Aida in. Um, you know, there, there's um, the schedule is ever changing. It really feels like we are fully back. You know, and we still got our masks on and rehearsal and in the building, and that's and that's um, out of a out of a good caution. We just need to keep people healthy. You know, wh- whether or not we believe this thing is going to kill you or not doesn't matter. It's really just about keeping singers healthy, and we are. Super spreaders, you know, anytime I'm in the wings and I'm looking out on stage and I see a singer and they're in side light and they're singing, I mean, you just see the cloud. You just see the cloud. We, we, we aspirate at a, at a high velocity and with great volume. And, uh, you know, it's just, if you're going to hit the back of the opera house, you need to be moving some air and, and that's going to cause, um, you know, this, this, this cloud of, of, um, you, <laughs> And so I understand our, our need to keep the mask on in rehearsal. I, I'm not sure that's still happening in Paris. I'll find out. And I and I actually don't think the testing is happening anymore in Paris, which is great. Um, I would love to be done with the with the Paris with the Parisian brain tickle, and I would really like to spare my boy that experience too. Um, you know, we're probably going to need tests to come back to the states, and um, you know, the thought of them putting that six inch Q tip all the way in my son's nose is like, <laughs> I don't want that for him. I want I want him to avoid that trauma as long as possible. You know, they do the COVID test over here and they just barely stick it in the nose. And, you know, I don't know. I guess it's as accurate. I have no idea. But the French went all the way. Like until they were poking your, your prefrontal cortex, they, they weren't pushed in far enough. You know, like, <laughs> is this a COVID test or a lobotomy? Because I'm pretty sure both things could happen right now. Uh, I miss Tuesday. There's so much noise. You know, I'm doing my podcast late in the afternoon here right now because the construction noise. These guys go on lunch break. And so this is my chance to steal some time and, and, um, and get the podcast in. But I missed, I missed on Tuesday for a couple of reasons. But, but the major one is that the racket is out of control. And, and New York is just this way. This is New York. A building has either got scaffolding in front of it or just had scaffolding or is just about to have scaffolding in front of it. And, and in this case... Uh, there's been a big hole next to this building for a couple of years. It stayed dormant all through COVID. They just couldn't get the construction going, and, and they just cranked it back up. There's a 75-story tower going up on 65th Street. A 75-story tower. This will be the tallest building uh, north of 59th Street. So, I mean, truly Upper West Side. This this will be the new standard, and 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 I think we'll see over... 50 to 100 years that most of the buildings uh, in New York are this are this hugely tall floor to ceiling window modern looking building and and uh, when you see the skyline it's it's changing it's absolutely changing and and these guys are putting up two stories a week and it's something to watch i mean it's it's incredible to watch the progress and the and the labor and the materials that go into this and then they need to pour cement at this great height i mean it's truly fascinating but as an alarm clock I, <laughs> 7 a.m. is rough for hammering. It really is rough. Um, uh, I've had a natural, <laughs> I've had a built-in alarm clock every every weekday since I've been here. But at 11.58, all noise stops and these guys take their hour, and deservedly so, because it's hot out there and they're, they're completely exposed. They're wearing full clothing. They, they, they have short sleeves on, but they're wearing long pants, of course, and big boots, and they've all got their, they have to wear the, the helmet and the vest, and, and most of these guys are tied to this thing. They're, they have like harnesses and ties, and 
I mean, it looks like brutal work. Just the, when I see these guys, I'm like, that's a real man. Oh my God. How do you, your body's going to break down eventually. I don't know how long you can do this kind of work, but uh, construction work is not for the weak or timid. I mean, these guys are constantly barking at each other. There's all this noise. The whole thing is designed to hurt you. I mean, everything looks like an injury or a trip or a fall or something's going to bang you in the head. Like there's, there's constantly this uh, dangerous element to it. Like my hat is off to these guys. That's serious work. Uh, but, you know, they're only up one, two, three, five, five stories now. Um, you know, by the time they get to 10, I probably wouldn't hear it anymore. But I'll be gone. I'm leaving. Last show on Saturday, uh, Paris on Sunday. I'm going to start rehearsal, I think, on Tuesday. You know, when you fly to Paris on Sunday, you arrive Monday, and I'll be kind of a disaster. So I think Tuesday is my first day. I hope, anyway. And um, we, on- we open up two weeks after that. So fantastic gig. Plug it in. I already know it. I love you for listening. Truly. Thursday, June 29th, or June 9th. Don't get ahead of yourself, buddy. Don't get ahead of yourself. Um, episode 166 of the CVH podcast. Uh, we're about to crest over 30,000 listeners and I thank each and every one of you. Uh, that's really something. Uh, the, 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 the growth on this has been slow, but persistent. And I'm, I'm proud of the, of the audience here. And I'm, and I'm glad that I feel like you're listening and I'm, and I, and I hope you still think that I've got something to say and, uh, and for joining me on this, on this, uh, little journey. It's, it's fun to feel like we're doing it together. And, and when I see the familiar faces and people bring up the podcast to me uh, when, I'm, when I'm at the stage door, it's really heartwarming to me because um, I, know I'm, I know I'm reaching, um, you know, this is my version of content and, and, um, and I'm enjoying it and you are seemingly enjoying it and I appreciate it. All right. Jesus Christ. Everybody, have a great weekend and uh, next show from Paris. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye.